Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Together What If. We're in week two of talking about the broken signpost of power. Last week, we talked about the two different kinds of power, the power of the of Jesus in the gospel, the self-giving love power. And I want to go back, Jamie, and talk a little bit about um, Jesus's fulfillment of scripture in that, um, because we, we, we hinted at it briefly, but we said in Genesis 1 that um, that there seems to be this idea that humans as image bearers of God would have dominion over the earth. And now that's, that feels so bad because we haven't done a very great <laughs> job at it and, and global warming and the pollution and, and all the, the abuses of, of creation. But um, what did God really mean there uh, when he's, when I me, mean, we can guess at what God really meant, but, sure. but what, what, where are you coming from there? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I think you know we are we are called. I mean, in Genesis one, the to take dominion over you know over all of God's creation. We as humans have have been um, that has been part of of what it means to be image bearers, right? Is that dominion? And um, and I so I think I think the purpose of that is to originally the purpose of that was to usher in God's shalom, God's God's wholeness, and God's peace, God's way. Um, on earth and in in the garden and of course when once that sin entered into that reality um that dominion um that became was was part of the fall part of the the right. brokenness so i uh, so it it would be like creation to be ordered not chaotic fruitful uh not barren mm-hmm. and uh glorifying to god rather than shameful um using some words that um N.T. Wright used. And so Jesus comes as the fulfillment of that. But before he does, um, we have this whole Old Testament story of ruling and abuse of power and course correction and God. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, we again, you go back to Genesis and God calls, you know, a man named Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah were charged with um, this calling to to um, to to be the parents of a great nation, right? And so, but as that story progressive progresses, we see this just rise and fall of people. And and one of the fascinating things is that once they get into the promised land, is you know eventually Moses is 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 tasked with giving them. Moses carries that role of 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 um, ruler or one who's been entrusted with power and also as the one who is the prophet. So he, he, so there's a, there's a tension that comes with his leadership that, that um, I think is fascinating, but that, that by the time you get to across the river Jordan, the people get established and they move away from being, we saw that in Samuel too. Samuel, we saw Samuel was entrusted with leadership, but he also had a, a prophetic nature about that leadership. But once that people started demanding a king, yeah, the moment they started demanding a king, we saw the separate. We see the separation of um, of king or ruler and prophet. That mm-hmm. that role begins and somewhere in there's the priest class too. Correct, and you know, yes. So they're interpreting God for us. The king is the earthly ruler, earthly power, using what we would say human dominion mm-hmm. using violence using uh weapons using um oppression even 
and then you have the prophet. Yeah. So the prophet shows up on the scene, you know, at, at the same time that the kings rise, you see this, this, this rise of, of the ministry of prophets. And, um, you know, some scholars talk about a school of prophets that, that might have existed at that time. Mm-hmm. And we see, and so then certain ones trickle up to the top, Elijah, Elisha, and then some of the minor prophets that we find in the, in the Bible, but they begin to speak truth to power. So, so, Basically, what they their purpose is is to to um, to make sure that power doesn't get out of hand. At least that was the goal. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily happen because anytime somebody speaks to us, I mean, I mean, even personally, right? I mean, yeah. you, you know, in our last episode, you you was talking about you and Mark. You know, had an, yeah. an evening where y'all were, you know, and you acknowledged that yeah. that power might have got out of hand a little bit. Yeah. And so, um, but the moment, even in a personal relationship that someone speaks truth to our power that we've got out of hand, we get defensive. We don't like it. No. And, no. and if that happens on a corporate level, then we, 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 we try to stifle that voice. Yes. And it's usually, um, or in these, in these situations, if, if you read the, the prophets, the, the voice is for the voiceless. Yes. Um, and um, I, I think of like... Um, climate change and, and environmental profits right now, they're not very popular because we're it doesn't feel like it's always looming on us. And some people even say that, you know, uh, the earth is whatever, you know, mm-hmm. wherever you land on that, they're they're being prophetic and we don't love it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and um and, and and you go back through the history of Israel, you go back through the history of the United States or any country, and you see these prophets rising up saying things must change, this must change, and um, people, shh, stop, be quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, no one wants to hear it, really, because it's um, it's threatening to power, yeah. uh, our own agency and been able to do what we want to do. Sure. And so what does godly power look like? I mean, come on, what does it look like? Well, let me continue that story too. I think is important is so when Jesus shows up on the scene, you know, what we what we see in Jesus as the the messianic promise of the one who will usher in God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. What what Jesus does in that incarnation is that he embodies all three of those roles, right? So he embodies the the king role. Oh, yeah. Um, he embodies the the priest, the priestly role, the the sacrificial role, and then he um, embodies that prophetic role. So all of that is brought back into one, embodied into one person. Wow. So I think this is where it becomes fascinating to me now is that so now you know um, when Jesus ascended into heaven. He, he basically was telling the church, he was telling the, well, his, his early followers and us now, you know, go into the world and make disciples. Well, well what he's telling us is that he's in trust. And he goes, in, in, and what does he say? Go, you know, in Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples, and um, all, all power has now been given to you mm-hmm. and um, and it's been entrusted to us that that role of of priest and that role of of king and and um and prophet wow. that is embodied now in the in the church because we are truly the body mm-hmm. of Christ and so we are called to live that out in the world to be that prophetic voice in the world today and if and if and if we're doing that in true godly dominion we are seeking his wisdom yeah, and so and, and we so are if we're seeking humbly 
recognizing our own weakness. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wrote down, I wrote down that, you know, what, what the church has to offer is not just another policy alternative. I love that. <laughs> and and yeah. um, what do you mean, though? But what I mean by that is that we we're not playing by the same rules that our politicians are playing. We're not we're not playing by the same rules that that our different um, political parties are playing. We're we just don't play that same rule. And and um, and so the church is to embody an alternative way of um, if somebody wants to say, okay, is there, a, is, there, is there another way to use power? Is there another way that doesn't lead to violence? The church should stand here and say, yeah, we, we got that option. You know, we have, we have that. And so I think that's that. And so that's the, the witness of the church. How do we live that out? <laughs> that's the hard part, right? Yeah. That's the hard part, especially when in today's world where, um, oh, I'll give you an example um, Russell Moore, who is sort of an evangelical um, um, voice and, and spokesperson, he was on NPR recently, and he he was telling the story where he's had pastors email him or call him and tell him about situations in their churches where um, some of their parishioners, after they preach um, a, a, a sermon around the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gave a sermon, which is blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, you know, all those things that are contrary to what we, how we have de- identified as power. And then he goes on, you know, forgive, turn, turn the other the cheek, cheek. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all those. And, and he, he tells one incident in that, in that um, storyline on NPR, he says that, you know, that pastor was telling how at the end of the service, they were greeting at the end and the gentleman said, um, no, where did you hear all that? What, what, what political voice are you listening to, to hear all that? And he was like, Jesus, <laughs> you right. know, that was at, literally directly out of the Bible. Yeah. And so, um, so I think it's fascinating that we're living in a time where we say the subversive nature of Jesus's teaching is subversive to the world, but I think we're living in a time where it's also subversive to those like us who we call, are considered followers of Jesus. Yeah. We we need to rethink all that. We've got pretty rusty practicing it, haven't we? Yes. Um, it's so easy to lose your way because um, the practice of nonviolence, even though we have um, we have examples from the civil rights movement and other humanitarian movements throughout the globe, we have examples where in the long run, it made a difference. But Christianity has to play the long game. Absolutely. And we don't do that well anymore. Mm-mm. No. And it's a process. And um, back to your question earlier about how do we do that? How do we live that out? It's consistency. And, and, and I know people don't like that. I mean, you know, people find church boring. People find church, you know, it's mundane and it's a week after week thing. But there's, I'm just telling you, there is something about, there's something, I think it was President Woodrow Wilson. He, um, he said that, that, um, there must not, he, he says there must be not a balance of power, but a community of power. Okay. And I like that phrase. And he goes on to talk about, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not organized around rivalry. It's organized around peace. And that's, that's the aim that we're shooting for. So in the church, we, we gather every week 
um, and we go through our liturgy, we go through our prayers and our scripture, and we do it consistently because we are we are attempting to embody a, a, a new way of looking at the world. So in yeah. a sense, yeah. we're being in order to be discipled, we have to be undiscipled. We have to be un. Discipled. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a word, but that's... Yeah, it's almost like, um, you know, when Paul says, wake up, O sleeper, I know I say that all the time, but I think uh, it's easy to go to sleep to the, to the, you know, when you're a fish in the water, you don't know you're in the water. And we need the Spirit of God to wake us up to... Um, the violent way of the world mm. and the the call on on Jesus on our lives to turn the other cheek to to withdraw from the violence and to uh, offer this way of peace. Uh, N.T. Wright says, "Ordinary power and the ordinary kingdoms of the world have death as their ultimate weapon. God's kingdom and the power that goes with it can." The the creator's power renews creation itself. The resurrection is the ultimate answer. Mm. So it's like it it is it, where where one power is using the th- death or the threat of death, um, and that's powerful. Like, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, look how many kingdoms have built, pa- but it's not sustainable. Correct, and we. I, you History know, tells us that, right? Exactly. And yet we gravitate towards that. And then we have this power of new creation alive in us, and I hope alive in you. And mm. uh, and, and, and that is the power that regenerates, right? And creates new life, which is what everybody really wants. And I believe it has the power, the power to heal things that are broken. You know, so if someone's listening to this today and they feel like they're powerless mm. and they're broken, I truly believe the gospel story and the way of Christ can regenerate if we let it. Mm-hmm. We have to lay down our power. It's this crazy, isn't it? It's just so crazy that power comes in surrender. It does. It does. And um but that is the hope of new creation. That is the the um the anticipation that once I do that, that God will create within me something new. And um and, and we can get excited about that. I mean We and, can. And, and with that, we can exercise our humble, wise dominion of surrendering our power to God and then joining others who are working in creating God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. So so what we're asking and, and what we're challenging ourselves with is, is actually to embody uh, uh, that that very prayer, the Lord's prayer, you know, thy kingdom come on earth. And, 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 and so when we say that, it's not just that we're, you know, in wishful thinking. We're, we're, we really want to embody that in yeah. ourselves. So we're going to be little mustard seeds. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Uh, We're glad you joined us today for our second part of talking about power. And if you thought this content was helpful, we just really encourage you to comment and to like and to share and to uh, join us next week where we're going to talk about love. Have a great week. Hold me now with the hands that created the heavens. Find me now with your
Souls me. 